welcome back to the A to Z Animal Podcast. I'm your host, Michaela Baratka, and of course, any little bird noises you may hear is my unofficial co-host, Pickle, my canary-winged parakeet. She is very cute, so I recommend checking her out on Instagram, at PickleTheCanaryWing. Before we dive in, remember you can find all my sources linked in the show notes and transcript, which are available on the A to Z AnimalPodcast.com under the Episodes tab. Resources to help this week's animal will also be linked there. Additionally, any ecology terminology that may be used often most likely can be found on our glossary page. I will be defining words that we may not encounter as often in an individual episode. If you have any feedback or recommendations for a letter, feel free to contact me at Mickey Barra or at A to Z Animal Pod on Twitter and Instagram. There is also a form that you can fill out for animal suggestions on our website. Even if we've done that letter, still feel free to submit as hopefully we'll get the chance to circle back around. We started with A for I.I., our weird little lemur friend, followed by B for Binturong, the bear cat, and then C for Caracal, or the desert lynx. Last week, we discussed the long-overlooked dole, or Asiatic wild dog. Today, we move on to the critically endangered species, known as the European mink. Now, I was going to try to shy away from species that have our letter really as a location and not as the actual name, but this animal has so few left in the wild that I'm willing to make an exception. Also, before we get into it, I just want to let you know that for the next three weeks, there won't be any new episodes. I have a class starting up the day this episode comes out, and between coursework, my internship, my job, and my research, I don't see myself having time to work on the podcast. You can expect new episodes starting August 16th. Another real quick thing, this episode will probably be a short one, as I do everything on my own currently and have been having some really nasty tendonitis in my right wrist this past week, making typing and editing difficult, so apologies. Without further ado, E is for European mink. We always start with a scientific name, and I must say, the mink's name is kind of boring. It's Mustela lutriola. This name comes from Latin and literally translates to weasel mink. Yeah. Mustela means weasel, latriola means mink. Now, when you consider the scientific naming system was put into place by Carl Linnaeus, a Swede, it kind of makes sense that their name is so boring. Like, this would have been one of the first things he named, most likely as it was probably something he encountered early in his studies. Not to mention this mink would have been seen in Rome, most likely due to its historic range. So it makes sense that the Latin name is mink. And, as their genus indicates, they are in the weasel family, or Mostilidae. This family is a group of small to medium carnivorous mammals, such as weasels, badgers, otters, ferrets, martens, minks, and wolverines, among others. Within the Mostilids, the European mink is a medium size. Much like many of their relatives, they have a long body with short legs and tail. Males are somewhat longer than females at about 37.78 centimeters in length on average. Females, for the record, are about 31.5 centimeters in length on average. These mink are between 440 and 739 grams, or 15.51 to 26.04 ounces in weight. Their fur is dark brown to black, with their underfur typically being brown. The undercoat is thick and water-resistant during the winter, although I believe it's water-resistant all year round, as they are semi-aquatic animals. I'm guessing it's just more resistant in the winter, when they run the risk of frostbite. This species is easily identifiable by its white lips and chin. Some individuals may even have white spots in other areas of their body, such as their throats, chests, and stomachs. As I mentioned, they are semi-aquatic, so it makes sense that they are strong and agile swimmers. I mean, if you're going to spend half your life in the water, you might as well be a decent swimmer. But most likely you wouldn't spot one of these guys swimming in a stream in France in the middle of the day, 
partly because they're critically endangered and rare to begin with, but also because they're crepuscular, meaning most active during dawn and dusk. And if there are any mink scientists listening, can you do me a favor and check if they fluoresce like the platypus? I mean, last I heard, the theory was maybe crepuscular animals share that trait, and seeing as these guys are also semi-aquatic, I can't help but wonder. Unlike the platypus, these guys aren't found in Australia. In fact, I'll give you one guess as to where you can find them. If you guessed America, you'd be wrong. Clearly, the European mink is native to Europe, you silly goose. Over a century ago, this species was found throughout the entire European continent. But as populations have declined in the past hundred years, it is either extinct or vastly reduced in the majority of its previous range. Today, there are only small populations in Eastern European countries, including Romania, Russia, Ukraine, and Estonia, as well as Western countries such as Spain and France. And you may be thinking, well, should they be called the Eurasian mink because wildlife don't have to follow human borders? But actually, they're fairly constrained to the Europe part of the supercontinent. In fact, this species is only really found in northeast Spain and France, as well as throughout Europe to the Irtysh and Ob rivers, which run through Russia, just past where it crosses into Asia. Within these bounds, the mink can be found living along freshwater creeks, rivers, and lakes on shady banks. They may even live within a forest, but never far from water. This is largely due to their diet, which we will get into in a second. They will either construct their own burrow or opt to live in an abandoned waterfall burrow, or even a crevice in a tree root. But wherever they call home, it is often on their own. These mink are fairly solitary and will rarely use the same den as each other. Their home range is fairly large for a small animal and can be up to 15 kilometers or 9.32 miles of a river. Although females will typically have a smaller home range and stay closer to the den, with the exception of food shortages. As I alluded to a little while ago, these animals use the body of water they live on largely to find food. In fact, most of their prey are aquatic animals. And yes, prey, as I mentioned towards the start, the Mustilidae family is made of carnivores. A study that was conducted on mink stomach contents found muskrats, voles, shrews, moles, birds, frogs, fishes, insects, and vegetation. Another source I read also included salamanders, crayfish, aquatic bird eggs, along with the occasional terrestrial prey of hares and rabbits. And remember, just because an animal is a carnivore does not mean it doesn't eat vegetation. It just isn't the majority of its diet and most likely does not get many nutrients from it. The European mink have quite a few predators in the wild that aren't humans. Although, as we will discuss at the end, humans do pose a major threat to this species. Predators of this mink include the European polecat, the American mink, the golden eagle, large owls, and the red fox. In recent years, the red fox has been an increasing threat to the species as the fox population has increased in regions where wolves or Eurasian lynx have been removed or extirpated from, as well as areas with modern forestry practices. As with many animals we have already talked about on the show, the European mink is a solitary species who only come together when it is time to mate. And not much is known about the mink mating systems. Scientists believe that both males and females will mate with multiple individuals in a system called promiscuity. As a result of this promiscuous behavior, males, or boars, do not stick around and invest energy into raising the young, as there is no promise that his genetic information has been passed on. These mink mate between February and March and give birth to anywhere between two and seven kits or cubs in April and May. The females or sows are gestating for an average of 54 days and end up often having four babies. Kits are altracial, meaning fairly underdeveloped when they are born. Males come out weighing about 8.4 grams and about 7.39 centimeters long, while females are about 7.19 centimeters long and 7.6 grams. 
and these cubs won't be able to open their eyes until about four weeks old. At 23 to 27 days old, the external auditory medii open. A medius is the official term for a passage or opening leading into the interior of a body. Slightly before this, at 15 to 17 days, teeth begin to appear, but will be replaced by adult teeth between 60 and 72 days. At 10 weeks, they are weaned off their mother's milk and began tracking and capturing prey. A little later, at 2.5 to 4 months, the young will leave their mothers. And when these kids are just shy of a year, at about 323 days old, they will reach reproductive maturity. These little mink will go on to live about 10 years on average in the wild. And mink mothers will go through this a few times a year, as they are polyustrous. Polyustrous refers to having more than one period of eustrous in a year, which basically just means that they will be in heat multiple times in a year. Before we dive into their conservation, which, in all honesty, is going to be the longest portion of this show this week because of the number of efforts going on, I want to share with you some cool European mink facts. As I've mentioned, these animals are amazing swimmers, but they can go as fast as 1.8 feet in one second. That's 1.23 miles per hour, which may not seem impressive to a human with big, powerful arms and legs, but remember these guys have little feet. Also, 1.8 feet in a second is kind of nuts. Oh, and they can also dive 16 feet or 4.8 meters. That's steeper than most swimming pools. I mean, I personally struggle whenever I try to go 12 feet deep in a pool, so good for you, mink. I also touched on this briefly before, but mink are so well adapted to the water that they have an oily substance that covers their fur to prevent the skin from getting soaked. Oh, and they have webbed feet. Yet another platypus similarity. You know who else is in the weasel family? The skunk. And much like their smelly cousins, the European mink have the ability to protect themselves by spraying a foul-smelling liquid. But they actually have the skunk beat, as skunks do not have the ability to aim their spray, while mink can. And finally, while they may have a name similar to the American mink and share a decent amount of physical characteristics, they are most closely related to polecats, which are a type of skunk. Convergent evolution is nuts. I'd go more into it, but as I mentioned, I'm trying to keep this week short because of my hand, and I could talk for an hour on convergent evolution alone. If you want to learn more, I highly recommend the book Improbable Destinies, Fate, Chance, and the Future of Evolution by Jonathan Losos. In all honesty, it was the book that made me realize I want to study how animals evolve. I'll leave a link to the book on this episode's page. And now we get into the important part, the conservation and wild status of the species. As I've mentioned, the species is currently listed as critically endangered by the IUCN Red List. They are one of the most threatened mammals in Europe, and some sources I read even said the world. They are on the decline for both commercial and ecological reasons. Commercially, they have been trapped for purposes including the fur trade, as this mink species is valued for its luxurious fur along with the American mink. Today, they occupy only 20% of their historical range, with less than 30,000 individuals in the wild. Within Spain, France, and the Dunabi Delta in Romania, there are only a few thousand. Sightings in Russia have been so rare that it is believed in this location they are on the brink of extinction. Now, the source that says 30,000 individuals also claims that there may be anywhere from 20,000 to 25,000 individuals in Russia, while others, as I just mentioned, said that they are virtually extinct. I'm assuming that the reason this number is so large, yet sightings are so few, is because of the size of Russia. So the density is very sparse, so they are hard to find. But considering the scale at which we are looking, there are still tens of thousands. No matter what the real number is, it is rapidly declining. In France, there are approximately 2,000 individuals. In Spain, only 500 left of this species. Romania has between 1,000 to 1,500 individuals left, and Estonia has fewer than 100 on the Humua Island, which we will touch on in a moment. 
In the early 2000s, there was a reintroduction effort which introduced American mink into Spain in hopes of bolstering European mink populations, most likely due to interbreeding. Instead, the American mink has become the European species' main competitor, causing the effort to flop. I also read that the American mink were introduced earlier in the 1900s, largely in the 1950s. But different sources have different dates. Either way, the American species was introduced and started to wreak havoc. Now Spanish officials believe that killing the non-native mink is the best way to increase the European mink population. But the American competitors aren't the only issue. Loss of habitat and hunting can partly explain the decline in populations. But again, the American mink is the major reason. The foreign cousin has not only outcompeted the native species, but is thought to have brought disease along with it. Although there is still a debate in the scientific community as to how big of a role disease is playing in the decline. In 2000, before the first reintroduction of native mink, a 989-square-kilometer island off the coast of Estonia, called Humila, was able to remove the entire American mink population. But, as I mentioned a minute ago, the reintroduced population is still below 100 individuals. Throughout Europe, there are many different reintroduction efforts occurring, trying to reclaim the native global range. A scientist named Travis Leviri at the Prairie Wildlife Research in Wellington, Colorado, who has also worked in the reintroduction of the black-footed ferrets in North American prairies, is encouraging the freezing of European mink sperm to ensure lasting genetic diversity. He believes it's important that they do this now while the population is still a decent size, as the black-footed ferret effort started with only 18 individuals left in the wild. Now, these mink aren't in such a dire situation, and artificial insemination has not been done before in this species. Other scientists agree this would be a good idea, as dwindling populations means decrease in genetic diversity. Regardless of how scientists go about saving the species, it is widely accepted that controlling the invasive American mink population within the European mink geographical range is crucial for the species' survival. The Wild CRU at Oxford University, who we talked a little bit about last week, has spent nearly 25 years researching both the American and European mink, including their ecology, interactions with species that occupy similar spots on the food web, and management of the species. They have found, as expected, that the American mink outcompetes the European counterpart due to interspecific competition. The American mink are larger and more adaptable, and therefore can push the native species out of an environment. And habitat loss is not helping. While the forests they live in aren't being torn down as fast as tropical rainforests, water pollution within the past few decades has been a major component of habitat loss. Not to mention, hydroelectric developments such as dams have also disturbed and removed vital habitat for the species. Pair this with their competitive cousins in hunting for commercial use, and the European mink can't catch a break. Not to mention, there are quite a few mink deaths due to vehicle collisions. And, while scientists may disagree about the role diseases playing in population decline, it doesn't mean that animals can't catch it. All mink species are susceptible to a highly contagious and persistent infection called allulation disease, which is often lethal. So, you know, that isn't helping things. Now, the good news is that there are quite a few conservation efforts currently going on, and many of them are based out of the countries where mink populations are dwindling. The ones that I linked on our website include Vincent Wildlife Trust, the Wild CRU, Life Vison, a conservation project based out of France, LPO Mink Conservation, and the European Commission for Mink Conservation. Now, many of these places don't actually have a place to donate, but I think that is because they get government funding to help save these animals. There are also a few zoos in Europe that have these mink, but the only one I could find for sure still has at least one individual is the Madrid Zoo, but all I could find was one photo and nothing about where to support the species. But that's all I've got for this week. Remember the next few weeks there will be no new episodes as I have a class starting up and won't have time to breathe if I throw in episodes on top of class, research, internship, and work.
I hope you enjoyed learning about this little weasel with me and will stick around for the next episode, which will be out August 16th. Feel free to follow at A to Z Animal Pod on Instagram and Twitter for updates about upcoming episodes. I'm hoping to at least post some content on our social media during our brief hiatus as to not completely abandon you. And if you made it this far, please feel free to give me some feedback, be it over social media or email. All my contact information can be found on the A to Z Animal Podcast.com. What do you think I did well? What topic do you think I glossed over too fast? Do you want longer episodes? Shorter episodes? Any feedback is so highly appreciated as I am brand new to hosting a podcast and there are probably a million things I could improve on. Thank you so, so much for listening to the A to Z Animal Podcast. I'm Michaela Barakat and I hope you'll tune in next time as we move on to the letter F for false Gary All, a crocodilian I am ashamed that I am just now learning about. Have a great day and stay safe. See you in a few weeks. The density. So the dent. So anymore. So the dent. So the dent. It is rapidly declining. Travis Wellington. A scientist.